was in late December of my 21st year, and I found my pockets bare enough to once more seek employ by way of the Atlantic Ocean, doing whatever simple work a man with high spirits and low ambition would provide a ship's captain. This expedition would reveal itself to be a cursed endeavor from the first breath, and soon would find ourselves adrift in near-frozen waters, a sea of fog engulfing our entire world. For days that limped along endlessly, we struggled to ease the boredom by staring off into the mist, straining our eyes for the slightest break in the white hell stretching before us. On what could have been the ten thousandth day, we saw it at last, the slightest of shimmers dead ahead, and it was growing larger, brighter, and we were headed straight for that horrible, beautiful light, and in our madness we thanked God for delivering us into his grace. Little did my crewmates suspect we had been delivered instead to the gaping maw of the manscape. When the light that had overtaken us subsided, we opened our eyes to sight ever more miraculous. Dry land. We set sail for the island now before us, not far from swimming distance away, too desperate for the feel of grass beneath our feet to notice how strangely red the skies now looked. How still the water seemed despite our steady progress through it. Once we reached land, the miracles did not cease. Littered on the grass were countless wooden crates, filled with the most strange and miraculous wares we had ever laid eyes upon. Whether these belonged to another doomed crew or to the island itself, I will never know. But I am resolute in my certainty that the items were not of this age, or perhaps... Even the sphere of the cosmos. First, there were the boxer briefs, black as night and as comfortable as a glove, gently holding the curve of our nethers in ways the lovers we had left at home never could. Then there were the crates marked Crop Preserver, which contained a wonderful ointments which cured us of the chafing that had long been a sailor's greatest misery. Then there were the twin oddities that were the weed whacker and lawn mower, vibrating wands which effortlessly removed the hair from our noses and unmentionables, respectively. And the most curious of all were the shirts, all emblazoned with a single, enigmatic word, Manscaped. By the time anyone had noticed the ship had vanished, our hair had already begun to grow at a rate we, in another life, would have found troubling. But the compulsion to shave, to style, to clothe oneself in form, fitting, underwear, it conquered our minds in a bloodless coup, and all it asked in return for its gifts was that we stay in this manscape forever, shaving forever, a crew of stylish men trapped in a realm of perpetual grooming. I share this story not as a warning, but as an act of obedience to a new 
God, I both fear and love. The one who has manscaped my soul and speaks now through me to deliver a message to those who seek its bounties. Venture to manscaped.com and use offer code BOXOFFICEPULP. All one word. To get 20% off your order plus free shipping. I will repeat this once more. Manscaped.com. Offer code BOXOFFICEPULP. Your balls will thank you. Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, and moxie. I'm Mike, as always, joined by my co-host, Jamie, who isn't going to say anything because we have more important guests joining us, oh. which are Darren and Jeff Allen Gear, the Gear Brothers. Hey, guys. Hey. Listeners of the podcast know I recently reviewed an, a little movie called The Retaliators, and... Uh, quite taken with it. Uh, from that, well, somehow I didn't piss off the screenwriters. So, <laughs> <laughs> still waiting for that. By the way, where we get like it's a cease and desist letter. Yeah. It's, it's going to happen. And it's going to be on like the pumpkin carver too, like one of the nothing movies. We <laughs> <laughs> You're going to just show up to the cease and desist on the uh, on the door. What, what was that pumpkin movie we just did? Oh, pumpkin hole. That ended Pumpkin up actually hole. being good, Pumpkin and we felt bad that we threw it on to make fun. <laughs> okay, I, what the hell? What the hell is Pumpkin Hole? I need to know right now. Okay, Pumpkin Hole is odd. Okay, you remember the Machinist? Yes, it's the Machinist, but with the ghostly pumpkin. It's actually not. It's actually pretty good. It's kind of wow. an interesting, like deep psychological, like head trip sort of movie. Ah, um, so it's kind of like going down the Pumpkin Hole. That's yeah. I, get the no, I, I don't know how that director seen... thought that was a good title. I have never seen a movie killed by its choice of iconography faster. <laughs> it, made, it made a fun Halloween party movie. It I did. Yeah, cool. it, it has like these Lynchian interludes, but they don't oh, really wow. work in the same way Lynch goes for, so they... Yeah, I, I, there's no pumpkin hole in the movie, from what I remember. Well, well I guess great there, he does like a hole that involves a pumpkin, <laughs> so I, I guess that was it. God, it is such a pleasure to have you guys in the show, because I watched Retaliators for the first time a couple of days ago, and I have not been able to get it out of my head. Nice! That's great, man. Love hearing that. Yeah. What did you, uh, what'd you like about it? right now you're gonna get the bad stuff if we get uh we go too deep yeah uh, jamie she can be quite uh she, she can be quite bitchy <laughs> um i know it, it's kind of an obvious thing to say but the clashing of tones and the attempts at doing multiple different 
types yeah. of genre movie at once. I, my favorite types of genre movies are gumbos, where they they just try to throw everything in there. And the ones that can pull it off are very, very special. And you guys were definitely able to pull it off with that screenplay. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Oh, that, yeah, that means a lot. Man. It means a lot, yeah, because we, I mean, we were, uh, it was definitely one of those things, you know, when we were in the, we were in the screening room and post and it was the first time we had seen it all finally put together. We were, uh, we got, we had the pleasure of getting to sit in on the, on the editing. And so we finally was done and then we sat down and watched it and, and we knew we were submitting to festivals really soon and it ended and we just went, Oh my gosh, is anybody going to get this or get on the ride or like the ride? Like it was just cause it just felt, it, we, we were excited about it, but we, we knew it was kind of taking some risks. And uh, and uh, so we were nobody was more shocked than we were that just the reception went as well as it did. Yeah, I've never had the pleasure of going uh, to a festival. But when I imagine in my head, like what the ideal experience would be, it's a movie like like yours, just going in blind to something that absolutely just flips me upside down. <laughs> oh that's awesome that's man. awesome yeah we the first festival we went to is fright fest in london and because this was um this was towards the end of 21 and this was when travel was just starting to go and we just because of the way the quarantining was working it was really strict back then with travel so we ended up not being able to go, which was a bummer. So we sort of were waiting on pins and needles, like how did it go? And the the, the uh, head of the festival contacted us and said, uh, well, you have the crowd pleaser of Fright Fest. And we went, oh, really? <laughs> wow. and, they went, and again, this is when we it had never played in front of an audience. And he goes, he was like, you guys, the third act, he goes, the place was turned into of just a ruckus people were screaming people were yelling and laughing and cheering and he recorded a little bit of it and oh, sent it to great. us and watching that like we just couldn't believe it we were just going oh my god like it just really connected so yeah well, then we finally got to uh see it at the hollywood chinese for scream fest we we got to open scream mm -hmm. fest and uh it was an unbelievable experience. It was uh, the, yeah, it played really well with an audience. It must be pretty amazing to like, like have the feeling of all this like goodwill towards it after, after the road, the, the, the movie kind of went down to, to be made. And, you know, after the script, because it was on the blacklist, wasn't it? Didn't you make a uh, blacklist? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it did. That's where it started. And, uh, it was it was such a weird combination of things because we put it on the blacklist. Um, we again, this was sort of, sort of the beginning of of our truly just being humbled by like, wow, what the heck? Like we just started getting great coverage right away. Then we ended up on their top list, and then we started getting interest. Right, I mean, right away within weeks of uh, it going on there. And so the process to get the movie made ended up being ridiculously fast from the script being finished to putting it on the blacklist to um, going into selling it and then going into production was all under a year. Uh, so in movie time, that's obviously like just beyond uh, 
beyond ridiculously fast. But then <laughs> uh, we started shooting. Um, we we started shooting. We had to work around um, the band's schedule, so it made for a little bit of a hectic scheduling to begin with. And then COVID hit right as we were in full swing uh, with our shoot, and so it it shut us down. And uh, the uh, this is when the world shut down. This was March of 2020. And it just ended up, um, yeah, it ended up creating sort of an endless amount of, of obstacles and, and, you know, changes and adapting. And it was, it was just, and it went on for obviously as long as all of that initial COVID, um, craziness was going on all through that. So yeah, it was, uh, it, it's beyond gratifying to have just, just to have had a conclusion where we finished it. Uh, where we're, we're able to release it. And yeah, the fact that it's connecting with people is honestly, we're just, it's still kind of, it, it, we're still shocked by it and we're still, it's, it's still not hitting us really. Like it's, it's, um, it's very, but it's very gratifying. Yeah. I, speaking of like making a movie with COVID, it, it's, it just makes me laugh still like all these big studios like freaked out trying to figure out how to continue to make movies in the time of COVID. But like any low budget guerrilla style filmmaker just went, damn it, we know how we've been training <laughs> yeah. this for this our entire lives. Yeah, we don't need to make two billion to break even, you know, <laughs> yeah. so, it took some of the pressure off. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, I mean, people connecting with it. Um, has been pretty clear, and I and I'm I'm kind of like fascinated by that because this this the story you tell with the retaliators, everyone kind of goes in expecting like this real grindhouse experience, and there is that, but but you end up like before you get to the grindhouse experience, I think like audiences are finding they're just being they're they're really being hit um, in like this this emotional spot they really weren't prepared for, and I, in my original review. Um, and by the way, folks listening, spoilers all over this fucking thing. So just go back <laughs> to my review, watch it, watch it on VOD, pre-order the Blu-ray out on February 7th. I likened it to, to the crow and, and yeah. specifically the, the actual, the, the comic, because yeah. in the comic, James O'Barr, that was personal pain put in ink. Mm. is what that was and the retaliators felt like that like even before i knew there was any kind of real true life story attached to the making of it from where you wrote it from i could feel there was something there uh, especially with the movie ending up in a place that's not even really gray like it, it's even hard to completely describe where bishop ends up as a character but it's 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 very different than what you'd expect and it's clearly from a place of someone writing working through pain in some way mm, mm. that's cool it's interesting you bring up the crow too because um <clears throat> you know michael lombardi connecting to the film very early on and and he, he, the credit really goes to him in, in getting the film made uh as the producer as one of the directors as you know obviously the guy that carries the film uh in his performance but you know, he was the um, he really connected with the script in a really deep way. And one of the movies he brought up was The Crow. Like he got that oh, from the, just the script. Yeah, he he just saw 
pieces of it, you know, because we we're such just we're true dyed in the wool, just genre fans and movie nerds. And, and we've been that way our whole life. And, and it's, you know, we talk in movies. Uh, we just are constantly watching movies and we've kind of always been that way. So the, the, it's, it's always hard when people go, well, what are your, uh, what, what were your influences? It's like, well, if you're really paying attention, you, you probably would see many, many <laughs> because, <laughs> because we have a lot of different ones and we love to pay homage. We love to, uh, you know, some are obvious, like the evil dead is, was an obvious one in this, but there's others that are more subtle. And, um, and the crow, uh, it was one of those. And, and Michael did pick up on that right away. So it's, it's interesting that you pick up on that. And, and Lombardi himself, I mean, <laughs> Like the passion he clearly has for the picture, uh, like comes through in his performance. And if I remember, and he did direct, actually end up kind of co-directing some scenes because of COVID. When I yeah. understand, yeah. Well, what's so crazy is, yeah. Not only did he end up directing, um, I think it's about. I mean, it's about tw- what ended up on screen about twenty minutes or so of the Whoa. film. Uh, wow. So a, a, a significant amount. And I'll tell you, some of the most beautiful, well-composed um, sequences um, he, he directed. So, yeah, he really, I mean, the guy's passion was truly limitless and fear and just fearless, you know, through everything. Um, and proud to say, safe record, you know, nobody got sick on set. Nobody, you know, no, no terrible uh, health uh, in, in, incidents or anything like that. But we just had to navigate through, you know, and he had to really persevere through, you know, us getting shut down and cast members dropping out at the last second and other ones getting, you know, that we would have to adjust scenes based on the literally the last second. It would be, OK, well, we don't have X, uh, but now we have Y, but you still need to figure out how to you know, tell the story and connect this dot. And and it was it was it was crazy. What what kind of like changed the most because of COVID, like story or script wise? <sighs> Nothing, you know. The this is the weird here. This is the weird thing. As many obstacles as there were, the what we did was took a really rough situation and then kind of squeezed every like we what we did was we in the moment we didn't ever stop and consider what we were having to deal with. We just sort of went day by day. And when we would have a big setback, we always took the opportunity to go, okay, well, you know what? We have a breath here. So what can we do to make this better? What can we do to make this next, when we finally are able to shoot this, when we're finally able to figure this out, how do we get this to the next level? How do we top what we wanted to do? So, you know things the the what we were so shocked at was that the 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 spine of the movie the the kind of connecting of the dots the journey it's really it was all there you know the opening with the uh, with with the those aren't zombies uh to connecting to later um all of the beats were there we just sort of because of the craziness ended up kind of improving on certain scenes. Like we ended up uh, in a very weird way benefiting 
Um, it was through a lot of, you know, blood and sweat, but, but we did end up sort of just maximizing the, the, the time we just were resourceful, you know, okay, well, we're, we got to shut down here. We got to go here. What can we do there? That's sort of telling the same story, but we have to shift it a little bit. So it's weird. It's not like anything, none of the fundamentals change if that, that makes sense, but you know, the location would have to be changed and we would have to adjust it, you know, it'd be things like that. But I mean, that's any movie, certainly. But this was just obviously because of the COVID factor, it made it all that much more difficult, you know, so sort of that on steroids. (laughs) I feel like you guys had kind of a happy accident with this production and that your movie has one of the few scripts tackled by multiple directors that I think like actually kind of benefits from having uh, so many different visions at once. Yeah. Like one of my favorite thing yeah. about things about the movie is that the further Bishop goes down like this dark rabbit hole, the more uh, over the top and surreal things seem not just in the yeah. content, but also just in the visuals and the tone of the movie. Like it really feels like you're go, you're shifting into different levels into different worlds and I think that's yeah. kind of benefited from multiple directors. I'm very curious, was that, I mean, was that always a part of the script, the idea that these different parts of the movie would feel so different? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we always, I mean, we really love movies that take what we call like, you know, hard turns or, uh, you know, like a Hostel is a good example. Audition. Audition's another great example. And, and I, actually, Auditions might be more apt because in audition when you start getting past that midway point more towards the third act it gets really surreal you know um you know in the way that shot and everything and so so yeah i i think that's um we definitely we we that aesthetic was built into the cake of the script we we yeah. always wanted to do that in fact that was the hardest thing to sell people on not michael but uh you know other producers and um and directors that had come on was sort of like how to communicate that vision because you know it's it, it is a hard sell i mean the safer way to make a picture is just to stick to one general tone and work within those boundaries because you know it's a well-worn path and it works so when you're trying something a little newer it's not so well-worn people get nervous you know and yeah. understandably so but we were so blessed to have i mean not just Michael believing in it, but, uh, you know, Alan Kovac, who was another, uh, I mean, he was like sort of the, uh, the big dog, you know, producer of this whole thing. Uh, you know, he, he runs uh, better noise music. So, uh, yeah, we were just really lucky to have, have that, well, you know, have them having our backs as we tried to push the vision to make sure that was the film that came out. Yeah. All, uh, many people that would read the script would say, I love it, but, uh, let's just do this as a thriller. Like we're starting right. kind of in this mystery thriller. Let's just do the whole thing like that. It's going to just be too strange to go the, uh, go in that other direction. Or we would get the flip side, which was, well, look, let's just go full horror the whole time and let's make the subhumans supernatural and figure out a way to make it right. supernatural. And we're, and, and we're just sitting there going, no, no, that's the whole point you know the whole point is you know you take the grindhouse out of it if you do that you take yeah. that fun uh yeah With like a funkiness yeah, well, yeah. okay or like there's a- well jeff and i are you know we're <laughs> we're huge you know we're huge 70s exploitation and then we love all the canon you know 80s canon films and 
And it's like there's a level of sort of subversiveness and ridiculousness that sort of needed to kind of come through. And for us, that was kind of the catharsis. Like we really needed that sort of explosion in the third act. So it was hard. You know, a lot of people, I mean, it was just shocking how much internal struggle there was to kind of follow it through, you know, because uh, it is a little... Uh, nerve wracking. And again, that was why sort of when we were in the theater kind of watching it early on, we just kind of went, okay, we fought really hard and pretty much won most of the battles other than what COVID prevented. Um, so what do we have? Shit. We can, you know, it's like, be careful what you wish for kind of thing. Cause now we're like, Oh God, if this doesn't land, uh, you know, but you know, even then, like we really were sort of at peace going, you know what, we get it. And if only a couple people connect, hey, that's then those are cool people. And that's awesome. And, you know, I mean, we tr truly did go into it pretty, pretty low expectations, honestly, because we just didn't know what to expect. I imagine it must have been very tempting to just sit those people down with a VHS of From Dusk Till Dawn and say, look, it works. <laughs> yes. It's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. From Dusk Till Dawn is one of the, you know, I saw that in the theater and I'll never forget that experience and that was actually one of the that was one of the examples we did use many times because right. there is certainly a um you know there's always a little tarantino influence in what we do because we just we're just you know big fans from back in the day it's just in the dna with us and well and i also think like you know a lot i remember thinking back to it now a lot of pushback because dustadon was brought up but the th the argument would always be like okay but that's quentin tarantino and I just felt like well, he's not. Uh, Always so close-minded. You know, he's, he's not the only person who can write a story. Maybe that good, yes, but but in that vein, though, in that you know, with that sort of like general aesthetic in mind, and um, yeah, I, I I do remember that. Well, that's just our. That's just what we're fan. You know, what we're just really fans of. You know, I I feel like for us, I don't know about other people, just for us quote unquote twist movies where movies end with the twist like i just other than very very rare examples yeah really rare. uh we're just we, jeff and i are very aligned on this is i just always feel like a it's a cheat it feels like the movie you were just watching is now an entirely different movie than what you thought you were watching well, the one you enjoyed and the one you enjoy yeah. and then also you're sort of left with a lot of times there isn't a rewatch value uh, because that when you go to re, you know, and I'm, we're big rewatchers of film, and and when there's a twist that undoes everything you just watched, then when you're rewatching it, sometimes it can be interesting, but sometimes it's like, well, I already know this is just kind of not. This is all a big look at the birdie fake out, right? And and it's not about the crafting of the film. So for us, it is about those hard turns. You know, we're we like movies that unfold like that kind of take their time and and just continually surprise you um yeah kind of like a roller coaster yeah. like where's it going where's it turning just that kind of thing you know yeah and i think there's there's there really is wisdom to the adage of like you know as a filmmaker especially when you're making your first film is you know you want to tell the story that's in your heart you know something that really means something to you as as a lover of film and I really felt like, you know, that's what we got to do with Retaliators was end up with a film 
that's just like the kind of films we love to watch yeah. and talk about. Obviously, not every single film we love to watch and talk about, but certainly the ones that are the most fun for us to yeah. watch and talk about, which are you know, you know, Bronson films, you know, from you know the canon, you know, like Ten to Midnight or something like that. So, yeah, we're really lucky. I I, I do think so much of like um like Death Wish and the idea of like this normal guy who is just like slowly transformed by just pain and revenge and but but bishop is even like um that's why i like the like changing tones because bishop like he he believes his life is a lifetime movie practically like that's kind (laughs) of like how he chooses to live his life Um, yeah yeah totally totally yeah. yeah and then he like enters this like I love how the movie changes when like the bikers show up because it suddenly enters like this drive-in grindhouse like gritty <laughs> Gonzo movie, and then Bishop ends up in Mandy essentially, like by the end of it. Same <laughs> universe. And, yeah, and, and just the, this yeah. concept of like him going through what is essentially like grief counseling meets the harrowing of hell, <laughs> right, right? Like, and just seeing like this normal guy get twisted up in this. And, and I, I love one of like a little illusion I, I love and why retaliator is actually really rewatchable too, is because you get to pick up on more just uh little hidden allegories and uh, pieces <laughs> of like, it can get a little uh, like film analysis porn, which I really like, um, <laughs> which that's like cool he's talking cool. about, how he's always afraid to like get a motorcycle, but he's he he, he pushes it off because like he's he's thinking about it being you know practical. He's he's only right. doing it because of practicality, not because he's afraid or anything like that. And of course, by the end, he's put into a survival situation where he has to use a motorcycle in an actual practical way at both his transporta- transportation and to defend himself, right. um, using it actually as a weapon and that. Oh, I, I love that scene. That's pure, beautiful splatterpunk. But um, <laughs> and it, but I I love that like that. It does feel like he's in hell. Like it, yeah. like these things are being used against him. Like his beliefs or how he's how he's hidden behind certain beliefs. Yeah. Um, is suddenly being twisted and thrown back in his face. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love the way that you put that. You know, yeah, he has to really use. He, he he lives his life not having to sort of go there at all. And then finally he's put in a position where, you know, he can't just say Merry Christmas and walk away from the tree lot kind of deal. Right. You know, it's like he has to actually pick up the fucking machete and go to town. You know? Well, that was our, when, when we, when we were originally coming up, coming up with the concept and cause it really built around this idea of what if there was, you know, this sort of service that, uh, catered to family members of crime victims and offered a minute alone, right? And we started kind of toying with that. And the what just really quickly became the obvious kind of like, well, this would make the best drama would be, let's not take a cynical, jaded character, you know, and, 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 and somebody who, you know, let's take a, an actual and nobody with demons in their closet, like a real throwback, Frank Capra, Jimmy Stewart esque, uh, uh, throwback yeah. good guy where it's like, yeah, track him through and, 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 and yeah. And it was just like sort of the, 
the the fun of going okay let's just you know what like a true kind of like an earnest you know tom hanks you know kind of guy where it's like you know you just know he's a good person there's just there's a lot of good and he's sort of yeah he sort of lives in this 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 uh sheltered kind of world and he's very kind of insulated and protected you know and he's this man of the community and yeah what's drag him through uh that temptation and what would that uh how 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 you know the drama that would just could come from that um just was a lot of fun and then jed was kind of born out of going let let's create a mirror let's 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 take another guy different kind of good guy but also a good guy good you know uh you know principled um good human and take him through what would it what would happen if you go another direction and um and it was just fun you know we and we very purposefully from the beginning really committed ourselves to saying we're not going to judge either we're not going to telegraph thoughts on either or values on either we're just going to just sort of let's create these characters and this sort of mirror and play it out and and uh we really tried to you know what we definitely thought like if the movie ends and anyone went boy jed is boy jed's just a monster then we didn't really do our job because we really wanted people to struggle with jed and and go geez you know um or at least give a maybe he's a monster but right right because certainly he did very (laughs) monstrous Well, either or, yeah, yeah either yeah. way you want to. There's no question he he yeah. kind of became what he he um uh what he despised of course, but we, we at least wanted there to be a sort of uh a, a kind of a thought where, where, you know pattern where you could kind of go down and connect those dots and and say boy, you know, uh would I go there? And that's why we thought it was f- kind of fun to watch Bishop go to the, go all the way to the line and then look at you know sorry spoiler alert but yeah go go to that line and then say well no i want to pull back and then of course it's got to be too late right cuz yeah. <laughs> just yeah. uh that that makes it juicy yeah, now I, I, you, you have to actually escape hell you get all the props in the world by the way for having a for respecting the audience's intelligence enough to go well he's not going to let him leave now <laughs> yeah totally (laughs) yeah yeah that was for us that's like that's my i mean that part of the movie is is just again i said juicy i just love that you know yeah because joe kind of wants the horn right yeah yeah you know yeah that line only complicit men take secrets (laughs) to the grave if there's a line of the film it's that yeah (laughs) yeah no really really thank you yeah the whole film yeah that was we we were that was one we were proud of that was one we went Ooh, that's a good that's a good one <laughs> yeah. that's a good one yeah that's, and, that's and, and, have, and and to have mark benchaka like when we when we write we take on voices we look ridiculous we act out the script like over and over again to get the dialogue kind of ironed out and you know when you're not hearing it out loud dialogue can look really good and then when you say it you go oh boy that's really yeah that's terrible or that doesn't work and so the character of jed was funny because 
and I don't remember who always played him. We we used to, we would switch off. We would switch off. Yeah. But I, but that was the voice we did was Mark Menchaca. So when yeah. we heard him speak the first time as Jed, it was just it was like chills. Uh, I mean, it was like wow. I mean, he it's he, I got to give huge credit to his delivery there too. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And there's something about his performance that like nearly brings a tear to your eye. Is it yeah. so? There is like, a pain. Oh, when yeah. He does, like, in, uh, yeah. Again, spoiler, but when he, well, when he meets his uh, fate uh, in the movie, I, it still gets me every time. There's something, uh, and there's also something really sweet that B- Bishop doesn't hold it against him, yeah. and that he's comforting yeah. him. That was just like one of those proud moments because I go, yeah, you know, it's such a better choice because it's it's obviously would have been very easy for for bishop to be pretty pissed off at that point uh <laughs> with what he had gotten him into but it just sort of showed bishop's character and yeah. then you kind of see that sadness in in jed that sort of there was a good man yeah. under there you know yeah it's almost like he wants to say i know what this looks like i know what this is what i'm doing i just don't yeah. care and yeah. that's so yeah. sad <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. And like what I what I was really really taken with when just that entire plot is is unveiled and you go, holy shit, this movie's really going some places. Was you know going back to like um, Bishop talking about movies and stuff earlier. It's really playing the idea of fantasy violence versus reality violence like you can have all these dark thoughts you you can you can want to do these things okay here's a weapon in your hand do it and that is completely different so what i love actually about how violent that third act is because not only is it playing up like that just like fun grindhouse splatterpunk kind of feeling it's also showing no this is actually how horrible this violence is like it's not sanitized Right. Well, and and, and if you if you look at Bishop through that whole third act, he is freaking out at all of it. You know, he's relishing it like hell. He's not enjoying it. He's he's, and and and, you know what? One yeah, he doesn't get turned into like a saint. Right. Well, and one of one of the things that very few people pick up on. I mean, and it's pretty subtle. You'd have to be looking at the movie pretty close, but we always kind of get a chuckle when people refer to uh the um and sometimes it's in reviews and and comments and stuff it, it always kind of makes us chuckle when people sort of say avenging pastor or um you know uh, you know we watch this guy end up on this vengeful whatever because what we very purposefully you know talked out wrote out and i feel like it was executed if you really watch Everything in the third act is all based on survival. He is not out seeking to kill. He is out trying to escape, and he is essentially defending himself as all of these people are encroaching on him all the way, um, you you know, even uh, because we karmically wanted him to get to have – Ram Katie at the end. I mean, we knew that we all, we, when we were going through, we were just like, okay, we've got to have him like go through all of this hell and we've got to give him finally at the very end, he's got to have it. Um, and, but even that, um, 
we very purposefully wanted, you know, he went over to help the elderly couple getting attacked. He didn't go over to start a fight. He didn't go over to... Yeah, he didn't just see Ram Katie out in the woods by himself. Right. He was like, you know what, this is my chance. I'm going to go. You're right. It, it, it's, you know, he, he, he was there... And all and 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 again through that whole fight sequence through the house and into the barn and everything else he all the way to the eyeball it is all to survive and and yeah you can maybe <laughs> split hairs with a couple of the moments but that was very much uh, an intentional thing we really because we did we didn't we knew how cartoonish the third act was going to be but we really wanted to strike a little bit of a of a balance there where it was like, okay, let's not have him just like, kind of like what you said, like he doesn't turn into Rambo at the end or the Terminator. That's not who he is. You know, he's, it's really, it's really truly more John McClane. Um, um, which is to bring it back to the original action hero reference in the film, uh, with Die Hard, because he really, because when you, you know, John McClane essentially is uh, mostly. Uh, I mean, I've seen Die Hard so many times, but I mean, I, I mean, he's mostly just trying to survive. You know, he's he's pretty much th- gone yeah, through yeah, hell, and and, and and he's a cop, so yeah. it's a little different. A little different he's he's yeah. a little more savvy in protecting himself, but um, but yeah, um, yeah. I love how even Bishop's like final moment of triumph in that fight is still an act of naked desperation where he's not thinking at last I'm going to kill this demon that's destroyed right. my life. He's just thinking right. I have a daughter I have to get home to. It's Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, this is not happening on Christmas. Totally. And that's Absolutely. that that's that Frank Capra-esque sort yeah. of thing that always stayed with him. Well, that's the guy comforting Jed, you know. That's the it was sort of fun to keep him, him that way and and that's what Lombardi was just so able to nail that, you know, and then also be able to cross over into the action stuff. It really, we were there watching it in person and it was just, uh, it was unbelievable. We, you could just see it on the set without even looking in at the dailies or, or whatever. It was, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I didn't think about it until now, but the ending of that movie is essentially if Jimmy Stewart used Zuzu's pedals to kill Mr. Potter at the end of its order. (laughs) (laughs) You're totally right. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Speaking of that final fight, I have been wanting to ask this all week. Was it you guys or the directors who came up with the gag of hitting somebody in the shoulder with a hot frying pan and then them pulling back in the flesh coming Ooh, off. Cause I've never that, seen that. That was written in. That was, that was oh, written that in. Was so good. That was so cool. Yeah. And, and uh, we, that fight sequence, that was one of the location changes. And that was one of the examples where we went, okay, how do we make this, better what do we so what was fun about that sequence was um we we knew the spots we wanted to hit but we had to work it all out and so we yeah we would write and then give the show the pages to michael and we also were working with our editor at that point too so it was um it was great yeah that uh that whole fight sequence was um we worked and a huge credit to, to again, to Michael and the cast and, and our production, our, our stunt coordinators, they really put the time in to rehearse and work through those gags and just make such a different, it's such a way to 
get more production value when you have good good fights in a movie. You know what I mean? Oh, good. Yeah. It's just it's it's such a. You don't want to cheap out on fight scenes because yeah. that just makes it seem so yeah. amateurish. But yeah, that yeah, I don't, so I don't remember who thought of the gag, yeah, they, but it was it was, yeah, uh, it was written in. Well directed fight scenes too. I love that house fight. Like, yeah. yeah. Once again, just nice to see. Nice to see a fight where there's geography and yeah, people are touching the environment. They're just not. They're not just floating around a space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even a green screen thing. Movies shot on sets still have a lot of people just kind of going through choreography as if they're just in. Any one of any number of locations, yeah, or like fast cuts. Well, that yeah, going on. Well, and that's know. what was cool too about getting to work this stuff out when we were mid production. Because when we originally had written the scene, we were it was a, a imagined situation in our head. When we got to write this, we had that set, we had those locations, we had the geography, and so that made it really cool because then we got to literally look at the blueprint and go okay let's start outside have him go through the window he's now you know and and work with this environment so again it's that that collaborative um experience of the uh and and it was one of those examples where we got to really take everything to kind of the next level and it's such great imagery because it's it's the it's the imagery of what this fight is like what it represents these two characters Mm. going from like this very like hellish landscape and then spilling into this domestic christmas (laughs) decorated like family space and completely tearing it apart like it's (laughs) it's really symbolic of like what like revenge is to the movie Mm. Mm. that's cool Yeah. yeah Yeah, it is. It is fun to get to watch those um, to see that part of the film. Audience hasn't seen Ram Katie in a long time, and we sort of cheated cheated away when they they attack him in the cage, and then everything turns into all that chaos. We don't know where where his fate went, and so yeah, seeing him in that environment with the old couple i always love that contrast it's like it just feels very scary yeah, all of a sudden game, right? it's like, oh, geez. yeah you did a really good job of bearing that too i gasped when the camera pans up and it's him it's like oh we're still in this movie <laughs> that's so good to hear because every time it comes up I, because you know when you've seen the million edits and everything, yeah. you're just like, I know what's there. I I really hope this is a surprise for the audience. Yeah, I, 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 that so. was another one. I don't remember <laughs> who, whose idea it was yeah. to have it look, uh, trick the audience into yeah. thinking it's Bishop shuffling through the car. But I remember thinking, oh, if we could pull that off, it'll yeah. be so great because yeah. there's no reason for the audience at that point not to think it's Bishop. And yeah, they. I feel like it was pulled off really, really well. And when his face comes up, it's yeah. just the the lighting and the look on his face. It was just yeah, it's great. It's I'm just sure really the audience like... thought it was either Bishop or Wolverine searching for clothes after leaving. <laughs> I have said for a long time Lombardi would make a good Wolverine. Wow! Hell yeah! And tell yeah, me that yeah. isn't just a Wolverine versus Sabretooth fight. <laughs> Wait, we should we should start like a... yeah, that's a good. Uh... Yeah, he, he'd love to hear that campaign. Yeah. I think yeah, it could yeah, work. Yeah. I think it could work. But um, yeah, what's what's like what I also love about that is like, yeah, you do kind of forget that he's kind of the final villain. 
So you've right. you've like from a writing standpoint, what you guys did such a good job of is you've you allowed the movie to go batshit crazy, like just get complete chaos, and then you cinched it back up to like its emotional center mm. with with a fight. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's that's uh, boy. It, yeah, it, it, you know, I'm so glad you appreciated that and see that, and that was that. Um, we we really that's part of why we fought so hard for the batshit portion because we kind of had faith that if we go there if we really let this kind of catharsis happen with bishop and take him all the way to these these sort of the extremes of having to sort of you know um like you were saying sort of escape that seventh ring of hell like get out that if we then bring it back to that sort of now we're in a classical uh this is the 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 hero and villain face to face it's it's right out of any you know in any sort of classical structure and i just felt like it would feel better and feel a little um you know they would resonate a little different to have it go away and then come back kind of thing yeah. and and having like the evil vanquish but it having nothing to do with vengeance or fulfilling anything and Lombardi plays it perfectly in the, in that moment of like watching him die just you can tell this isn't that's not the meaning behind this and it's it's just a like a, such a great wrap up and what what is like obviously the movie kind of ends on a very like gray you decide kind of area with Bishop and what's your like overall take of like what like where he's ended up well uh it's really funny um so the ending is um for me was was 100% a nod to superman 2 um and <laughs> when I, when I, when I, when <laughs> when i was when i was a kid and when i saw superman 2 uh and and it is hard for people to understand, like when you, you were so immersed in superhero culture today and in the 80s, you know, you didn't have, uh, you know, Superman was a whole new thing. And, and we were still a few years away from Batman. And uh, obviously that's, you know, a huge shift, you know, uh, came after Batman. Um up until today, but, you know, Superman was kind of everything, you know, I mean, especially from a, you know, being a little film obsessed with film right away. So I just, Superman was everything. And when, you know, when he gave up his powers to marry uh, Lois Lane uh, and, and as a kid watching him go into that bar and get punched in the face by that bully um, that like rocked me as a kid. Like I just remember watching it and being like, "Wow, Superman's bleeding his nose," and it was, and it was, it had this really like profound, like like it really bummed me out as a kid. And what I love about you know uh, the the movie and uh, uh, is the movie ends. You don't need that scene at the end. You know, you don't need it plot wise. Uh, the movie is essentially wrapped up, but they, the fact that, and Superman is sort of this uh, really benevolent character. You know, he's, he's this guy that really doesn't have like a mean bone in his body or a vindictive, you know, he's just sort of this very, 
again, kind of like that Jimmy Stewart good guy. You know, when you think of Clark Kent, you think of Superman. Uh, and for him to walk into the bar and then basically knock the guy out um, and have that last laugh, like that was a thrill that like I just never ever forgot that as a kid like that just completely so that's in, entirely what that ending was meant to be uh, it was like let's just let's not let's not worry about because we knew it had contradictory uh, or tension maybe maybe there would be a little bit of tension in like what where people thought that Bishop might have landed. Right. Like, where did he land? Like, but, what, what, but it also just felt right. It just felt that's that subversiveness you know. that we love. And that yeah. sort of that's the punk rock to it that we what we just kind of had to have. Like, we got it. We see him roughed up at the, at the tree lot. He does the, the total right thing. And then at the end, yeah, the he, now he's got the bully and he's going to knock him out. And it was sort of that. It really was to, uh, totally Superman two in, in inspired. And here's what's funny: the only person. So we had the uh, absolute thrill to screen this movie for Scott Spiegel, and we got to go to Scott Spiegel's home. And screen this. What stage was was this when we? This was after was Fright the, Fest. Was this right after Fright I think Fest? So. Yeah, yeah. So it, we it had. Uh, I don't think it had gone totally crazy yet in the film uh, festival circuit, but I think it was just starting to. We knew we had, uh, um, uh, Skylar Stone, the, the actually the guy who who gets punched out at the end. Um, he was in Hostel Three, which. Scott Spiegel directed and he obviously produced all the hostels and uh, because he wrote Evil Dead 2, uh, we were just beyond excited to show him the movie. But then we were also a little nervous about it, too, because Evil Dead was one of those like, again, that's there's a couple homages that are on totally on the nose. And it's like it's very, very on the nose Evil Dead sort of. Uh, uh, references, but anyway, we got to sit. Uh, Scott, he's an amazing, amazing guy, uh, sweetheart of a guy. We screened the movie with him. He he was hilarious because he he would he would talk out loud throughout the whole movie, so you you would hear his thoughts out loud. So it was very cool, actually, because yeah. we would you know he would kind of watch. He was watching it as a writer and as a director, so he would he go, oh yeah yeah, that's a Oh, okay. I see what you did there. Oh, yeah. And he would just sort of kind of talk. And it was, so it was the funnest experience. And then when it got to the evil dead part, uh, he was, it was, it was the sweetest thing. He was jumping up. He was yelling. He was going, Oh my God, look, he looks like Ash. Whoa. He looks just like Ash. Look at that. Holy shit. No, no, he wasn't saying Ash. He was saying Bruce. Yeah, he said Bruce. He was like, <laughs> That's so adorable. It was yeah, yeah. the most was adorable great. thing uh, ever. And 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 he really is an adorable human. Like he was just the nicest yeah. fucking guy on the planet. But what was great, the whole point to this, we get to the end and when he knocks him out, he goes, Oh, Superman two, Superman two. Oh my and I go, god! I, I mean, my mouth hit the floor. I went, 
holy shit, Scott, did you, are you really, I can't believe you just said that. And he, and so, and him, you know, he's at such another level. He's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know. Uh, the uh, what was his name? I forget the guy's. He, uh, he has a, a funny name too, something Pepper or something. He's like, oh, uh, oh, his name is Pepper Martin. He, oh, I know Pepper. I knew Pepper Martin. He was uh, ba 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 He's he is truly at that Tarantino level of like just references and people he's met and uh so anyway yeah that was that is a very beyond thrill to have him pick that up i couldn't believe it <laughs> i i can't wait to rewatch rewatch the movie and have superman 2 in my head during that it's gonna be like a completely different reading of that scene that's awesome and if only superman 2 then immediately cut to a rock song about superman <laughs> yeah how, how how cool is it that you you've now joined the annals of movies that have credit songs about the movie <laughs> that was a really crazy thing to happen because it, it i mean and not just that but i mean it was just so it was done in such the spirit of the film to have it be nikki six oh, crude to go right or write it yeah and, uh yeah, that I couldn't sleep for days <laughs> on that. I that that was like to that there, there's those those traditions from the 80s and 90s and that I just miss and love so much and yeah, the theme song and the I mean because it was so funny too cuz the yeah, it was like the actiony movies but then it would also be like just your kind of run of the mill comedies too, you know. I like oh, yeah. secret, secret of my success yeah, at it, yeah, and like totally. back to school. <laughs> what, what's that? Is that the the bodyguard had an Oscar? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean it was so so common, and and it's so gone now. So yeah, to have that come back and have it be Motley Crue and all the all those great bands, and 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 for the song to be as good as it is too. Like, you know, we got yeah. to hear it as a demo and we were just i mean we, we it was just unbelievable unreal i'm not even saying this to kiss ass that has had so much play on my spotify account the past couple of days <laughs> right. i love it That's i love really it cool man yeah it gets stuck in your head like uh it's it, it, i don't know why it just reminds me of dream warriors like it just it has like that oh, yeah. oh, like oh. kind of sound to it oh you, so you, good. You're, totally. you're you're like you don't even know like we're we're such dream warriors fans and like i have on my you got to see the setup we have yeah, here if we had the camera we could show I, i'm looking at, i've been looking at the vhs like and why my eyes have been wandering <laughs> over have, to it and oh, i have i have the dream warriors soundtrack vinyl up on the wall here so it's oh, like that's yeah that's, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah mike and i are such huge fans of the rock and roll horror film like shocker gets a lot of play in our respective homes Hell yeah. Love Shocker. I think I watched That's Shocker. That's a hard like... soundtrack to find, by the way. It's a very hard oh, one to find. Oh, impossible. Almost yeah. impossible. Yeah. yeah. It's such a shame. Like, I, I really actually have almost bought the, just the cassettes, which is really all you can find at this point. Yeah. It's the very hard thing to find. a thousand times. Um, yeah, there's like no... Cause, I mean, that's the only place the Dudes of Wrath ever appeared. So it's... Uh, <laughs> it, it, dudes can, of there's Wrath. There's no way oh, to yeah. find their find their music that that oh that god the shocker theme gets a lot of play as well <laughs> I, I listen to that song constantly well and i and love the, the megadeth the megadeth cover of Al, Al, the alice cooper is phenomenal uh, i mean it's, I it's, think it's so superior. good i, I do too I, I you know what i appreciate you having the guts to say that out loud because 
I have always thought that. And I'm like, man, that's just one of those things like I know I would get crucified for, but it, it is better. <laughs> Mustaine's voice just fits that song so well. It does. It's like the Alice Cooper version is a classic, but it feels very tongue in cheek. Megadeth's version make, makes you think, wait, what did this guy do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. The tagline is no more Mr. Nice Guy. For, <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 So oh, it's, oh, and, and God, and the trailer is the only place you can actually hear Mitch Pileggi say the line because he possesses somebody in the movie, then says <laughs> no more Mr. Nice Guy. So it completely screws up its own tagline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes it funnier to me. Uh, what, Jamie? Can we just do a shocker commentary at some point? Oh, absolutely! Uh, only, <laughs> only ever make me happy. If, only if you include the Gear Brothers. Uh, come on, we got to be there. <laughs> oh, pl- please, please come on and do uh, do a commentary with us for Shocker hell, and Dream Warriors. Yeah, hell yeah, we would absolutely love that. We're dead serious. <laughs> yeah, nothing in awesome. the world would make me happier for this show than if we could get. Uh, indie horror people on and just have them talk about their favorite schluck what's your favorite vhs horror (laughs) oh yeah we we and with us you have to get us to shut up so you know we're we we, that's all we talk about so (laughs) i was listening to a podcast with you guys earlier today where you briefly nerded out over silver bullet and i was like okay these are our people yes (laughs) yes oh yeah love silver bullet Silverbolt is so underrated. I hate when it's so always underrated. Like a Stephen King conversation. It's so damn good. It's so good. It's so good. Well, that that has and that movie like really scared the shit out of me as a kid. Like, anytime kids got killed in movies, we've talked about this yeah, a bunch. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's something you don't ever see anymore. Kid, little kids never ever get killed in movies. Was, was Gator the one uh, that, that fucked you up? Gator was. Uh, no, uh, Alligator. 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 Sorry, sorry. Yes, I was just thinking that. Yeah. The pirate kit, the uh, Halloween kids in the pirate costumes. The pirate costume in the pool. That was yeah. the first one I ever saw, and I and it completely fucked me up. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Jaws, you know. Uh, Jaws is a tough one. But, but. Uh, um, More recently, I got wigged out watching Caliber. That movie goes that for one, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me, yeah, yeah. That, that movie really goes. There's a, f- there's a few that go like, for Oof. it. And yeah, that is, it is always hard. It's yeah. just, there's something super crazy about it. But yeah, yeah uh, I remember uh, first time I saw Silver Bullet, um, the blood on the kite and all that, you know, it's just like, oh, fuck, it's so good. And Corey, that's got a lot of hate. My favorite movie of all time is The Lost Boys. That's, I'm obsessed. That's my all time, all time. Yeah. Favorite and so Corey Haim is just you know it's near dear to my heart. Yeah, I get a little irate whenever I do hear some horror fans talk about it positively, but it's in the tone of oh yeah, it's like one of those crazy schlocky Stephen King movies that you can that's like fun to laugh at. It's like Silver Bullet is terrifying. In yeah, absolutely. Well, and the fact that you got the, having the lead character in a wheelchair is such a brilliant i mean it's because he's so you're you're at such a frankly just at such a disadvantage when you have a a freaking beast after you uh and so it creates again it's just that's that brilliant drama like it just creates an immediate um 
you know, it's sympathy. yeah. Well, sympathy, but yeah. also just sympathy for the and situation. Danger. Yeah, because yeah. you're just like fuck. Dangers yeah. increased and sympathy. Yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's brilliant. He's he's so vulnerable. That's why the scariest scene in Silver Bullet to me is in the covered bridge, and he's not even a werewolf yeah. in it. Yes, yes, so good. But see, I'm you know, and this is the thing. It's like when you start getting into, we've gotten into these deep conversations about quality and what is actually good and what is actually bad. I love maximum overdrive. So, I mean, I'm, you know, and that movie's rough. That, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, did you not see the trailer? Stephen King's explicitly said he was going to scare the hell out of you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a fun, it's a fun, listen, that is a fun fucking movie. It's not Citizen Kane. It's no. not supposed to be. It's just fun. Uh, that's one that gets so much hate, and I don't, I don't understand. I just don't understand the vitriol for it. I'm like, what? Yeah, no, it, it, it definitely doesn't deserve all the hate. Ups, that's for sure. <laughs> I love watching Maxim Overdrive, but from the from the aspect of thinking about what is going through Stephen King's mind as he's directing each scene. Yeah, well, yeah. Was, was he? In well, also, co- was what he a, like in a haze of he was definitely yeah. in a haze. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He, he, he was he was at his his alcoholic cokiest yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, there's no question because um, it is so surprising when you go. He's only directed one. Of, I mean, who's Crazy. got a more prolific fucking cinematic catalog? There's nobody. Well, t- and the, Tom Clancy, maybe. No, no doesn't even touch it. And, and so you go. You go, and the one he picks is fucking Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that's a weird one to pick, right? But it's the, again, going back to our shocker and our rock yeah. thing, it's you got the ACDC element. Oh, is just yeah, yeah, it's so yeah. great. Just smashing shit up. Yeah, you know, it is pretty it. fun. Oh, Maximum Overdrive will, will forever exist as the thing that gifted us one of ACDC's greatest songs. And it's who Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's heard someone tell a story about attending an Alamo Draft House screening of Maximum Overdrive that had Frank Darabont in the audience. Oh, and it, they showed the trailer beforehand where Stephen King says, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. And someone in the audience piped oh. up with, what do you think of that, Frank? And he stood up and said, fuck you. And then sat back down. <laughs> <laughs> that is scary. Oh, that's so hilarious! Good. That is awesome. <laughs> well, damn that. Yeah, we got to get you guys back on just to just to talk about stuff like this. This is oh, for sure, yeah, great. For sure, uh, definitely, definitely for those commentaries at least. That'd be great. <laughs> maximum Overdrive. I want to get deep in the text yeah. of Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, I'm down to get yeah, down let's, and dirty. Yeah, let's get let's get down and let's get fucking down and dirty, dude. I'm all of it. That's get what I'm saying. Dirty and coked up. Yeah, it's not a <laughs> that's the only way to do it. Just cover yourself in cocaine. Metaphorically speaking, cinematically coked up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll drink a lot of Coca-Cola before we get this thing started. <laughs> this is a, a series of bad decisions that just ends with us recording a commentary for Sleepwalkers. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we've gone too far. Well, we've gone Save too far years. to sleep to Sleepwalkers territory. <laughs> oh man, but Sleepwalkers God, are um, well, definitely uh, the Langoliers. That would that, that would be 
That would be okay. the furthest we reaches of hell. Okay. Are we going? We're going. We're going full Bronson Pincho. I mean, if we're going there, we're going that is, to me. Okay. Well, listen. <laughs> if it. we're going, yeah, that. I mean, the siege. We should do Langley. <laughs> I we, haven't yeah. seen that in so long. Yeah, we gotta do. We have to do some substance before Langoliers. No, I'm just kidding. No, but yeah, the Langoliers is that. That's out there, man. What's so hey, funny? Guys, is I, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, did you guys know that somebody remade that into an art film? No, like, that's like stop motion and shit. They they Shut printed the out every up. frame of the movie onto paper and then stop tore it. the paper. To make it stop like animated. That is the most oh brilliant my. thing I've ever heard. Oh, dude, that's wow. a really cool idea. I love that. Well, it is a brilliant idea because it's vis- it is visually it's like the worst CGI of all time, right? Yeah, like basically for for well, it's made for TV CGI. It's yeah. early nineties. Everything going CGI, against it. Yeah, yeah everything. Yeah, because yeah, I, I remember seeing that as a really little kid, and even then. I was growing up with the 90s thinking, like, what? Like, this looks awful. Well, what was funny was I I was not buying it even at, like, eight years old. I read that book. That was Nightmares and Dreamscapes, right? Was that what it was? No, it was Three Past Midnight. What the hell was it? Yeah, it, I believe it was Three Past Midnight. It, it was one yeah. of the novella it was collection. One, one of his sh- yeah, short stories. I read that. I was young. And I loved it. I loved the well, Lego Lears. Great idea. I mean, it's a great. It was a great short great. story. Yeah, but oh boy, did it! <laughs> it did not. I didn't be six yeah. hours long. It was ahead yeah. of its. Look, it was ahead of its time. The technology had not been made yet. Yeah. This was, you know, this was Stephen King. I would this, love to. You know? I would love to. We should do a show where we make a case for it, though. I'd like to see. Oh, let's love watch to it and try to make a case. Yeah. Absolutely, we got to find its uh, the the redeeming values. <laughs> we love, we do that for fun. We will literally find movies that are the absolute worst reviewed and go. Okay, let's watch. It. Let's see if we can find anything can, in it. Can we please throw a Kurt Cameron yeah. in there? <laughs> <laughs> let's go fireproof. Oh no! We're going fireproof. Oh no! <laughs> if we're going to Christmas, I, I don't know. I do have to admit, whenever uh, I was watching Retaliators. I was reminded of that pure flicks take taken knockoff that David A. R. White made, where it's like they push a priest too far. <laughs> oh, that's a good version of that. <laughs> hey, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, you know? I t- definitely take that as a compliment. We love those movies. But yeah, you know, there's just something very charmingly bad about it. That yeah, it starts becoming like I, I, I actually kind of I just love it. I don't. I don't it becomes it gets to a point where I go, I don't like saying it's bad anymore. Well, that's the problem yeah, with that, that. We like we like bad movies so much, and we watch them so much that the lines have all been blurred. So at this point, because well, the... we'll, we'll quote them to each other like constantly. You know, yeah, cross two lines. On there, have you guys, have you guys ever seen? Uh, have you guys ever seen? Have you guys ever seen Howling Seven? No, no, I haven't. Oh man, I didn't realize they got that far. You're this, this might well look, I don't want to hype it up too much, but it was life. No, there's for no, me, no reason to hype it. No, listen, listen. <laughs> I found out some things about myself yeah. after watching listen, it. There, this is a level of bad that is up. I mean, it's it's bad on so many levels and it's so unwatchable and so yeah it's trying to be funny the whole time and it's not funny it's the worst kills of all time yeah literally the worst cgi ever put on film uh worst acting you ever saw but there is something so 
inept. It's one of those where you're just kind of, you can't take your eyes off of it, but it really is hard to describe how bad it is. It, it, it has a bit of a notorious past. It was, it was made and the, whoever financed it, yeah, shelved it, it yeah. and said we're not putting this out and you we asked you to make the horror film in the howling lineage right and it's not a horror film it's not a horror film <laughs> it's not it, it, i mean it has something there's no werewolf in the go. fucking movie I, I mean i can see the director <laughs> mike turner uh, yeah. going like no it's got some horror in it yeah, but yeah. it really doesn't no you know? there's there's it's weird not- <laughs> there's weird line dancing scenes in it like i can't <laughs> i won't go away but listen it is so fucking bad and so the studio whoever paid for it said we're not fucking releasing this <laughs> and so they didn't release it on any platform and then somehow it got to when joe bob was on monster vision he aired he aired it one time so yeah. it didn't exist anywhere and he aired it and did commentary and then people clamored for it and said holy shit i want to own this movie and so because of him airing it they ended up releasing it and it's the title changes multiple actually i don't even think it's called howling seven it's called howling new, new moon, moon rising, rising right yeah <laughs> there was another one too i i could have sworn i saw yeah yeah it's but uh oh boy it is so it's, uh, it's like new moon rising or blood moon rising some, i don't know shit like that. but the reason i say don't hype it is because i don't know the level of bad you guys like because if yeah, it's that's true it could be too bad for you yeah. for sure because it's it's definitely not for everybody <laughs> it's not for everybody it's bad <laughs> Considering oh, some like of the that. Slender Man movies Mike and I have watched together, uh, that's nothing. <laughs> it's gas station sushi, all right? It's like, if you yeah. like it, you love it, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's one to watch together. You wouldn't want to watch it alone. No. <laughs> you watch it, watch, it with, watch it with each other if you can. And yeah, it's, it's, there's, it's a full boy. We've yeah. watched it many times now, but it's pure train wreck. Well, we, we'll watch it with it, like our entire family. We'll get the whole family together for like, <laughs> oh, yeah. We're yeah. just popping on. And it's also, we're, it all, on. we're all doing the sing-alongs. Yeah, so. there's sing-alongs. That you yeah. just, it's so bad, you guys. <laughs> I love the two movies that Joe Bob saved from obscurity are Basket Case and Howling 7. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, also Hogzilla to a degree. Yeah, and Hogzilla. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he, yeah. well, I mean, he, yeah, I mean, Joe Bob is, he is just the man beyond. Oh, yeah, we're all huge fans on this podcast. He, he is uh, our Monster, god. Monster Vision was yeah, a big part really, of my childhood. Yeah. He's like the Pope of exploitation. You know, what we I mean? we named we named uh, a character after him uh, in the retaliator. In the retaliator, uh, so uh, Captain Briggs, uh, Bobby if Burks. You, uh, if character. you if you watch the Briggs scene next, imagine Joe Bob saying everything he's saying. That's written <laughs> for his voice. That was completely yeah. written for his. That voice. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, playing his character talking, from the stand. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and so he, uh, um, we, uh, he, he ended up doing this like uh, radio show where he host hosted this thing for the Retaliators, 
And so he ended up doing, he did a blood count. Like we got the body count and the breast ah, count. Oh, dream. Was it motorcycle food? Yeah, yeah, motorcycle food. <laughs> he, had, he did the whole, the whole fucking thing. You know, got, what was the gratuitous one? He had like a, what was gratuitous? Uh. Oh, oh, he said gratuitous voiceover. Yeah, gratuitous, gratuitous voiceover. <laughs> yeah. He said gratuitous. Like, yeah, yeah, it was gratuitous. It, it totally fucking was. Uh, no, but he did. And then he gave us a quote, and it's like off the charts. Like, so cool. Yeah, that was that was one of those moments where it was like, wait, what? Oh, yeah, we were, we're such. We went and cute. saw his. Uh, Even, more than the movie theaters and everything like that. Have, have you guys seen his li- his live show? No, I haven't gotten a chance to go. Yeah, our other co-host Cody says that that was like life changing. I can't, I oh, can't is, even man. tell you how amazing. He, it, it, what do you do? The hillbilly, you fi- hillbilly save Hollywood. You, you what, what you do, what it feels like? It feels like you are in a literally in a good in a, in the best of ways. It feels like you're in a college class yeah. in, in an auditorium with the the professor of fucking exploitation he's, he's, yeah, he's the cinema, rock star professor, the yeah. rock star professor, mm-hmm. and you just learn an yeah. unbelievable amount. He just takes you through the genealogy and lineage of so many things, and 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 behind him, clips are playing and. It really is like we were just like looking at each other going, holy shit, this is fucking unreal. Yeah. Like it is so damn good. I could not recommend it enough. Yeah. It was amazing. Like you just walk out truly like. And the meet and greet was really, was really oh, chill. Oh, yeah. Like, was, like and he couldn't have been sweeter. He was and such a with Darcy. Guy. Yeah, yeah. Darcy. Her and him and Darcy were there. Yeah. It, was, it was truly amazing. You know, I just realized uh, Joe Bob said in the first last drive in marathon that Pieces was perhaps the only horror movie ever made where heads roll before the credits roll. And I think you guys made number two. Oh, <laughs> shit. No way. Yeah, no, we do have Oh, a, shit, yeah, I think yeah, we do. Roll, yeah, bro. you're right. Yeah. We've got a heads, head rolling pretty quickly there. Yeah. <laughs> I like feel like we can get Joe it. Bob to, like, officially declare that if we, uh, if we ask him. <laughs> Oh, well, man. We, we can't do it. That would that wouldn't be right. If you guys can do it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we will bring it up. Yes, we'll use our we history him on social media. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm totally writing Joe Bob tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I I'm like hearing that Joe Bob story. Like I'm so happy for you guys. Like total win all around with with this movie. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks guys. No, thank you. And yeah. Thank Love you. your insights into Mike it and yeah. all the nuances and everything. It's very, very cool yeah. to hear. And just, just thank you for providing it to us. Um, <laughs> and just thank you for, for coming on. It was awesome talking to you. Uh, we'd love to have you back um, anytime. Same here. Thank Same you so here. Much. We'd love to be Yeah. Back. You guys yeah. are awesome. And, uh, and we're, we're down to talk, uh, talk flicks anytime. Cool. Cool. Um, well, uh, Retaliators is, of course, out now on VOD. You can pre-order it uh, out on February 7th on Blu-ray. I'm glad you guys got the cool-ass poster art as the cover. Yeah. Very happy <laughs> to see that. Yeah. Yes. So go ahead and check that out. As for me, as for Jamie, as for the Ear Brothers, in this episode of Box Office Pulp, get the hell out of here. And like that, He's gone.
This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.